Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Welcome to the 2022 edition of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words. A proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. In this episode 280, we visit with Barry Swanson, author of Still Points, where even in the midst of tragedy, there is hope, and even in the midst of war, there is love. Based upon the World War II diaries of the real Philip Zumwalt, this debut novel is a bittersweet tale of the transcendent power of love and reminds us of the immense sacrifices made by the men and women of that era. Kathleen Barber, author of Truth Be Told, now an Apple TV Plus series, and Follow Me, had this to say about the book. Barry Swanson's immersive debut is at once a tender romance, an insightful coming-of-age story, and an unflinching look at the realities of war. Swanson grabs the reader from the first page and keeps them in his thrall as he brings the characters and settings to vivid life. Both uplifting and heartbreaking, Still Points is a book you won't soon forget. Before we jump into the uninterrupted interview today, I'd like to thank you for being here. We are grateful for your presence and uh, really appreciate your time joining us here on the podcast. I'm your host, Landis Wade. I'm a recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories. And if you run out of things to do one day, you can check me out at uh, LandisWade.com. Find out more about uh, me and uh, my writing. Speaking of writing, shameless plug here by the other sponsor of this podcast, which happens to be me. Uh, I have a novel coming out uh, in the spring of 2022. It's called Deadly Declarations. You can find out more about that at LandisWade.com. There's pre-order information there uh, for ebook and print book as well. For everything related to the podcast, check out charlottereaderspodcast.com. We've got show notes on each episode uh, with images and links. we also got a community blog there. Uh, if you're a writer, you can submit there. We've got a lot of great content. And speaking of great content, we have a podcast newsletter called The Book Report. You can sign up at uh, charlottereaderspodcast.com and stay up with what's going on with the podcast. And if you're interested in what I'm doing with my writing, you can go to landisway.com and sign up for my author newsletter where I share information about my writing and upcoming novel, Deadly Declarations. Hey, we won't spam you because, frankly, that takes way too much time. One final part to consider, if you like audiobooks, check out Libro.fm, and if you sign up to get audiobooks from them, use the promo code CHARLOTTEREADER, and you might get uh, something extra. But enough of this prologue. Let's get to today's episode. Barry, welcome to the show. Thank you, Landis. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, congratulations on the book. Yeah, it was a long, lifelong uh, dream of mine to do that. And so we are just glad that it's finished and kind of an amazing thing when you actually put the book in your hands. I'm sure you know all about it. You have that feeling, but this is my first one. So it was uh, uh, quite a thrill for us. Yeah, that is something when you get that book and you say, wow, all that work and, and here it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, it was a really cool, uh, when the book arrived, my grandsons were here and they've been kind of involved in the process. Uh, in fact, my youngest grandson actually did the imprint for our uh, productions company. And uh, so they were really excited about it. And then we called my daughter, who has been a big part of it. And my wife, of course, has been a very big part of the whole thing because it's her her family story. But 
my daughter cried and we all cried. <laughs> it was really, it was really a, a great moment. Yeah. And because this is a, there's a family connection to this novel and I'd like to explore that connection for just a minute. Uh, I'd like you to tell our listeners um, how this story fell into your lap because you weren't actually, you didn't have it on your to-do list uh, to write this novel, as I recall. No, I didn't. You know, I, I guess it's always been uh, kind of a dream of mine. Um, you know, being born in Galesburg, Illinois, and and Carl Sandburg was our hometown boy. And so I always had that sort of connection to a writer, but it was just a long, it was, a, it was you know, as, as I say in the book, A Delusion of Grandeur, um, to actually write a book someday. Um, but yeah, one Christmas morning, uh, out of nowhere, my father-in-law gave me a present. And I opened it up, and it was a, a just a plain old simple. Actually, it was a letter box that you know where envelopes and stuff come in, and had coffee stains on it. And but it, but he had written on on the top of it, Philip. And inside of that were the diaries as well as letters and his medals, uh, all from World War II. And uh, so that started my thinking about it. And that was twenty years ago. Um, but it really wasn't until about 2010, uh, and I met Penelope Niven, who was Carl Sandburg's biographer, and we became friends. And uh, she was really an inspiration to me and really kind of pushed me and said, you can do this and uh, don't quit. Just keep hanging in there. And she said, you know, you'll probably write a lot of pages and you'll get you have to kill a lot of your little darlings uh, in the process, which I did, because the first draft of this was about 600 pages. And uh, after editing with a number of different uh, ed different editors, as well as my wife and son, were both uh, really involved in that as well. So we got it down to 400 pages. So, uh, but it's a it's a great story, and it's a true story for, for the most part. Um, I had to list it as historical fiction because there were some things, obviously, that I didn't really know. And the love story is a family legend, so you know. Both of those, both the main characters there are gone, so we don't really know exactly what happened. But much of that was just uh, from the letters as well as from the uh, uh, the diaries. Yeah, and I want to circle back to the diaries and 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 what's what's true and what you had to work with in a moment. But uh, just to drop back a second, uh, your background, uh, you know, being an academics assistant professor emeritus from Knox College in Galesburg, Illinois. You received your Bachelor of Arts in English Literature, a master's degree in educational administration. Um, you know, you were an English teacher. You uh, were a school administrator. I mean, all of these things are, you know, ticks on the resume that might lead one to say, well, of course, this person is going to be an author. <laughs> you know, they've got all, <laughs> all this background here. But was, was your desire to write a novel tied to these uh, years sort of being in the, you know, in the world of, the, of literature and teaching? Uh, your love of teaching, um, or if not, was it this sort of, you know, uh, serendipitous uh, present that uh, fell in your lap that kind of got your juices flowing? Yeah, I think it was kind of a combination of all those things. I mean, I guess in many ways, I've always been a teacher at heart, and I, I love teaching. Uh, I love the classroom uh, all the way up until three years ago when I retired at Knox. Um, but you know, the thing that when I taught literature at the time, um, you know, there was a part of me that really loved thinking about the whole notion of universality in literature. And that was one of the concepts we always tried to teach to, you know, at the time I was teaching ninth graders and I taught high school and I also taught at college. But 
that that concept sort of stuck with me. And then I just think just the ideas of um, how hard war is and how difficult it is on those not only that are involved in war, but also the, the people at home on the home front. And uh, and my you know, I, I heard those stories all my life. My dad was a World War II veteran and uh, was at Okinawa and experienced some horrible, horrible things. Uh, my mom was a cadet nurse, so that's really kind of the in fact the story where Al and Philip meet is actually my mom and dad's story. Uh, they met at a dance, and so that's so I sort of extrapolated that into uh, to the story in the, in the book. Um, yeah, so I, I just think that I don't know. You, and and you, you mentioned the coaching, and uh, Jimmy Balvano really had a great saying and unfortunately it was when he was dying of cancer, but it was, you know, that we need to laugh and cry and think every day. And, uh, I, that's what I kind of wanted this book to do. I, I want, I wanted people to laugh. I wanted people to cry and feel the emotions of real emotions. And then also to think about some of the questions that are posed, you know, and those were real questions that he actually was thinking about that I you know, took out of the diaries and, and, uh, then put into the book. So, yeah, I think all those things entered into, you know, to what the book became. Yeah, and I want to circle back to the diaries a minute because, um, you know, this is a World War II era story. You got uh, Philip Zumwalt. He wants to be a musician, but he's going to be teaching for a little bit because he's got to earn a living. He's uh, from a small town. He's uh, he's met uh, a, a female that he likes and he might be attached to, but then he enlists uh, to go serve uh, overseas, and then the story goes from there. But these diaries, um, where were they, <laughs> Barry, all those years? <laughs> well, that's an interesting part of the story. Um, a guy by the name of uh, Ed Lucky Stevens, and Lucky finally, the Phillips' nickname was Lucky because he actually survived a couple of crews uh, in the Southwest Pacific um, that were killed and he wasn't on the plane when he should have been on the plane, but he actually had tonsillitis. And uh, so he didn't, he didn't make those flights. Uh, but lucky was a ball turret gunner on a B 17, which is a horrible, horrible uh, position to be in. You're exposed underneath the bottom of the B 17 and your job is to keep the zeros away. And the, the, they were in the Southwest Pacific. So they're fighting the Japanese, but lucky uh, survived <clears throat> the, the war and, um, I want to say he actually flew like 150 hours, something like that, which is, you know, the, 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 the guys in the South Pacific actually flew more than, uh, knew more, mission, more missions than they did in Europe because, uh, they, in, in Europe, they had a limit on how many they could fly, but he, um, when, when, and I don't want to give all the story away because there's a, you know, we don't want to tell what happens, but, but, Somehow the diaries end up with Lucky. We'll put it that way, okay? And Lucky brings them home, and uh, and then he gets them to Gail's, my wife's uh, grandmother and grandfather. And uh, then when they passed, then Homer, my father-in-law, found them, and then he he gave them to us and to me. And he said, you know, uh, these are diaries of Phillips, and I thought maybe you could do something with them. Um, so that's what I tried to do. Yeah, and as you're first looking through these, um, and, and you know you're going back 50 years, and you're you're sort of enmeshing yourself um, 
in a world that uh, you're not familiar with and someone's life and they're writing with hope and excitement and so forth. How did that, I'm just curious, how did that make you feel, Barry? I mean, did, uh, did it cause you to reflect on your own good fortune? Did it cause you to reflect on other things as well? What, what was that experience like? Well, yeah, absolutely it does. And, and, I, and I think it's a, a case of where you just um, are, are grateful. You know, I, I, I was in the Army and uh, I had orders for Vietnam three times and they were changed. And I ended up in Germany, you know, by luck. And uh, my wife and I were married at the time. And actually, our daughter was born in Germany. Um, and so, I, I you know, I, I had the military experience, but I didn't have the combat experience. And even though you're training for it and you're, you know, you're training to kill people, which is exactly what you're supposed to do, unfortunately. Um, but it always had been something that I guess, it, as I said, that my, my parents had talked about and people of their generation talked about, which, you know, Tom Brokaw, you know, certainly brought that home to us. Uh, and I And I read a lot of I mean, I read a lot of books uh, on the greatest generation and, and I read a lot of books by different people that, you know, not only the leaders, which were Roosevelt and Churchill and, and those people uh, and, you know, Meacham's book on that and Doris Kearns Goodwin's, you know, those, those books are remarkable in terms of taking you inside of those lives. And those decisions they made then trickled down to, to the people that were, you know, on the front lines and, and, you know, as I say in the in the prelude, um, you know, I have my freedom, you know, and, and I think we'd sometimes just take that for granted that that's that's what they did. And 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 we still have people still doing that. Um, but it's an unfortunate thing that we have to go to war. And I think that's what you know, the epigraph says, you know, sometimes they'll give a war and nobody will come. That's from Carl Sandburg. And uh, maybe that's what our my wish would be. Well, I was interested um you must have had to do some research because this um, it's set in Australia with the bombers taking off from there and flying these long missions, right? And so how, how did you um, sort of sort of explore that world? Uh, did you ha- I mean, I'm not sure you had any first-person accounts that you could speak to given the passive time. Maybe you did, but uh, probably a lot of research involved. Tell us about what that was. Well, first of all, tell us about the research part of it, but also tell us what it was like to be on a bombardier crew in World War II working out of Australia. Well, the, the one good fortune I had is we were visiting friends in Palm Springs, and, and uh, there is a museum there, and they had a B-17, and I got to go inside the B-17. And one thing I realized was that if I would have been there, I'm almost 6'2", uh, I'd have had a hard time maneuvering because it's there's not very much space. Um, and then... Um, Bruce Gamble wrote a really great trilogy called, uh, you know, about or a ball, which is where they bombed. And that would be the equivalent to maybe like a Pearl Harbor for us, uh, where a lot of the ships and men, you know, would transport out of to, to uh, go to New Guinea to fight. And, and then they, for some reason, they didn't attack Australia, but they were island hopping and they were, they controlled those islands. And then that was really critical for us to, to keep some of the those you know those forces at bay, so that so that our Marines basically in Army could uh, could take over those islands. So, but the yeah the the, re- the research was significant. I mean, reading you know, I have a whole bookcase full of World War II books, and I'm not saying that I read one read them cover to cover, but I and I also you know did a lot of work with uh, uh, 
you're reading about B-17s and how they fly. And I had a really good friend who was, an, who was a pilot. And, uh, you know, he kind of walked me through some of the procedures. Um, and it's not in great detail, but it's, it gives you enough of a, of a sense, I think, um, that you can kind of feel what, the, what they were experiencing. And, of course, the diary entries were actual. All, those, all the excerpts are verbatim what he wrote. So uh, when, I, when I put the missions in, uh, and that was difficult to kind of decide what, was, what would go in and what wouldn't go in. Um, and that was true with a lot of things, you know, how much you're going to, you know, how much you're going to, uh, give the reader and how much you're going to have them, you know, try to imagine it. So, um, yeah, but it was, it was a labor of love for sure. No question about it. So writing a book is hard work. It takes a lot of time. As you've said, it takes a lot of research and, uh, uh, I'm curious what, uh, what kept driving you because sometimes people just give up, <laughs> you know, it's a hard thing to do. And I'm just wondering what, uh, what drove you to, to complete this project? Uh, boy, a lot of things. Uh, my family, uh, my wife, she was wonderful through the whole thing and she was supportive and, you know, she was doing all the things that I maybe should have been doing around the house or whatever. And, uh, at the same time, I, you know, the majority of the, of the book I wrote, um, when I was teaching it at Knox and, uh, and I was I was an assistant professor, but I was basically uh, a visiting professor that they made an assistant professor, and and I never went through the whole tenure thing because I had I was teaching education, which was my you know my bag, I guess, and so that's uh, what I was doing. And I didn't have a lot of time to write then, but then we we bought this house uh, in North Carolina on the lake at Lake Norman, and uh, there was a boathouse there, and we uh, restructured that to make a study. So I had a lot of time just to go down there and read and, and write. And and then I had four uh, paid editors and I had uh, then my wife was you know actually a, a great editor. My son had some great ideas as we would read through things at night. Uh, and then a couple of my really dear friends uh, were also, you know, one was a librarian and she was terrific. Um, so, yeah, it was just um they they all kept encouraging me, and and I said Penny Niven in the beginning was was a big was a big influence. Big influence. And I didn't want to let her down. You know, she passed away in 2014, and I thought I got to I got to finish this. And so her daughter Jennifer, who wrote a lovely uh, blurb for the book, um, you know, we still communicate with each other, and, and I know that she is grateful that I that I did finish it because I think it was kind of a tribute to her mother as well. Well, uh, I'm going to let our listeners know that after this is done, you and I are going to go over to Patreon and we're going to talk about uh, writing family history as historical fiction. We're going to explore a little bit more about, uh, you know, how you how you do that. But but I think part of me thinks that perhaps uh, in telling this story, even though it is cast in terms of fiction, you're telling, uh, for the most part, uh, Philip Zumwalt's story. You're speaking for him, though he can't speak for himself. Does that give you a certain amount of pride? Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think, you know, it's, it's just incredible. Uh, I, I, I had the honor of, of, of interviewing a number of, of uh, World War II veterans. Uh, one, one gentleman was uh, in my Rotary Club, and uh, he, uh, Reed Robertson was his name, and he was a navigator on a B-24 in the Southwest Pacific and was flying out of New Guinea. And then he ended up uh, actually hit the first flight that landed uh, in Hiroshima, uh, he was a navigator on that flight. 
And he gave me a lot of really inside information on what, what, what it was like there, as well as uh, Gib Howard, who uh, flew uh, 24 missions as a radio operator in Europe. And so all those people, uh, you know, contributed to to that. And, and um, you know, I, I think that I was just really lucky to have the chance to talk to them and to, and to learn from them. That's great. Well, we're going to come back and talk some more about what's at stake in this uh, book for the for the characters. But before we do that, uh, I'd like you to uh, give voice to your written words by reading uh, the opening uh, scene from, from still points. Okay. This actually follows the, uh, the, the prelude and um, the prelude is where I tell how I, how I got the book. And I did have some advice from some people not to include that, <laughs> but it was, it was part of the story. And, and, and also the postlude, you know, because the postlude, as you know, you know, circles back then to, our own family and the legacy that I felt that he left. Um, and you know what that, what that is. And we'll, maybe we can talk about it later on, but um, so this is uh, chapter one and it's uh, entitled of fear and feeble prayers. Port Moresby, New Guinea, March 28th, 1943. The soldier awoke from his afternoon nap. The Sundays he remembered were mostly filled with prayers, hymns, scripture. He had long ago rationalized all of that, his bargain with God, Pascal's wager. The clouds had passed over, no rain for a change. He wondered if Bernsey and Ruth had ended up in the woods next to their tent. He longed for such moments. Evening came and he was left alone with his thoughts. Thinking had become an occupational hazard for him, overthink, overreact. What madness had landed him here? Mud, insects, bombs, death. Wilson's warning made sense now. Weapons existed for a single reason, to kill. No sugarcoating that. After rereading his letter to L, he sealed it in an envelope, rose from his desk and slipped through the tent's makeshift door. It was all makeshift here his desk, his chair, the crude wood-burning stove, his mosquito netting draped cot, even the flying fortresses. They needed a gun in the nose. Hell, they needed a gun on every inch of every stinking plane. To its credit, or to the pilots who made it a point to survive, the fortress had earned its name. Stepping outside, he gazed up into the clear night sky, preening for all who took in its spectacular, untarnished beauty. He longed for Al or for anyone who loved him. He cursed his hubris, his naivete. What if all men said no to war, dropped their weapons, and just went home to those they loved? No more medals, no more citations of valor, no more letters or telegrams that begin, we regret to inform you. How would those words be translated in Japanese, German, Italian, French, Russian? Weren't the tears the same in any language? Didn't all mothers and fathers feel the same ache? Do souls speak different languages? It mattered not. This was his destiny. He had chosen and had no one to blame but himself. It was his decision to leave her behind and she had every right to do what she had to do to find some joy in this sorrowful world. 
The stars held no alternative answers, nor did the God he felt had ignored his feeble prayers. The soldier returned to his tent, threw back the mosquito netting, and climbed onto his cot. <laughs> the inane conversation, slapstick humor, and redundant profanity had become his daily reality. Men making the best of it, sidestepping the topic they feared the most, while the mystery hung like a sacred silken shroud over each tent. Who was next? For now, he tuned it out. His mind raced back to her and the day it all began. Yeah, thank you for that, uh, Barry. Um, it's a great opening to this story. Um, it brings in um, a character. We've been talking about Philip uh, Zumwalt, uh, but it brings in Elle, uh, which I believe is Eleanor Robinson, the woman that he left behind to go to war they had met uh, early on. And you you kind of explore this story uh, from two sides. Now, I know that uh, I believe Eleanor Robinson is a pseudonym and uh, mm -hmm. it, it's uh, you didn't. I, I'm, I'm just curious. Did you have an opportunity to to gather any information from from her or her family that uh, helped you along this uh, path? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, I, I did. Uh, fortunately, uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, she had passed away and um, she she ended up being a nurse uh, and then she remarried a doctor and had a family. And I tracked her down. Uh, she lived in Quincy, Illinois. And uh, Jean Kay at the Quincy Historical Society helped me. Uh, but she said, we, you know, the people at the hospital couldn't give me any information. And she really didn't have any information as to she knew she should pass because she knew her, her daughter. And just so happens that her daughter then had a, a um, reunion uh, at, at the high school there. And she and so Jean and she were in the same class. And so she mentioned it to her. And then she said, would you mind talking to this man? And so actually Gail talked to her and then we met them and they live in Fort Mill, uh, South Carolina. So when we came down the summertime. We met them for breakfast and I gave them one of the the, the love letter that I had from from uh, their mother to him. They knew nothing about Philip. She never mentioned it. And uh, mentioned him. And um, uh, but then when I explained what I was trying to do with the character, they said, oh, you you nailed our mom. She, that's that's who our mom was. Uh, <laughs> so that made me feel pretty, pretty good. Um, and um, yeah, then we 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 um, we met them after I finished the book and, and gave them the book. And so that was just recently. And uh, they, I think they were very appreciative. And they said they loved loved the character. And uh you know, that came mostly from family legend. And, and uh, actually, I asked, asked Homer and his brother Wayne to give me some information. And they wrote some things out. And that's kind of where I got the idea. And I found out that she truly was one of his students. Uh, but there was only a difference of uh, two years in their age, as you can find out in the book when you read it. And it wasn't anything that was untoward, you know. Um, mm. they, they kept their distance and they didn't, you know, they didn't act upon that. Uh, but part of that was, you know, it's, you know, it's probably historical fiction and what I imagine. And some of that was based on my own love story. So, you know, it's a, mm. our, our own love story, not mine. Well, it's interesting that, uh, you know, they were both so young when he went off to war and, and she was uh, probably 19 or 20 as well. And she's starting to, to try to work and maybe try to hang on uh, for him to come back. And, uh, and yet she has to start a new life at some point. 
Um, but interesting that she never mentioned him almost, uh, you know, kind of brings to mind that scene in Titanic where the woman goes back, you know, yeah. nobody ever, nobody ever knew that she'd had a lover, you know, right. the Titanic, she went off and created a new life for herself. And yet, you know, people carry that around, you know, yeah. on their heart for years. Right. I mean, that, uh, oh, that, yeah. yeah, no question about it. I mean, and there are, you know, there are, there are a million stories every time, you know, whenever somebody when it mentions the, you know, that you wrote a book about World War II, there's always a story from somebody about somebody in their family. And, and so many, you know, I mean, you think of all the lives that were lost and all the potential that was lost. And I mean, Philip was extraordinary. He was, he was, uh, there are 10 levels of, of piano playing and he was at the eighth level. I mean, he was, he was really a, a, an accomplished musician and, uh, he had the lead in all sorts of plays at Western when he was in college. And, you know, he wanted to go, you know, try and make it in the, you know, the big time, right? Um, which his buddy Billy Epperson teases him about. But uh, there was a possibility. He was really an extraordinary musician and uh, and poet. You know, he also was a poet. And, you know, some of the poems are in the, po- are in the exit book. So, um, but that's, you know, that's what we, what we lose uh, in war sometimes. The themes of these book, uh, Barry, you've got religion, you've got war, you've got love, you've got uh, two people that can't be together. Um, a lot of times, you know, in, in books, fiction books, you know, the themes kind of surface later, but you knew getting right into this, I presume, that uh, this is going to be a story about two people that couldn't be together in a turbulent time in the forties and what would happen? How would it turn mm-hmm. out? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, I, and, you know, I think somebody, we, we were, my wife and I were recently listening to an interview, I think of somebody, they were talking about a book that they did and they said, you know, there was more questions than answers. And, and I think that's basically the, you know, there are a lot, there are a lot of questions in this book and I didn't feel like it was my place to answer those questions. I think that there was, it's a, it's a, it's the reader, you know, the reader needs to answer those questions for themselves. And, uh, you know, I'm not, it wasn't about to sit in there and preach about, you know, my beliefs. Uh, and I did try to enter into, you know, what I thought, you know, I think Philip had some spiritual doubt. He was, you know, he was struggling. And, and, and I know, you know, a lot of guys, a lot, I mean, I, one of my dear friends was a Vietnam vet and, you know, he said, you nailed it. He said, everything that you brought up about combat, all of a sudden he said, you nailed it on, right in the head. And he said, you know, we all were feeling, you know, there are, there were those, you know, and you have Foxhole Christians and you have, you know, you have, so um, you have the, the merging of different cultures uh, in, in the military, you know, where, um, you know, you have, <clears throat> you know, people that, you know, in this case, there was a, there was Meyer Levin, a Jewish fellow who was actually, uh, that's a real character, by the way. And, you know, I think he really struggled with that, you know, for people who said, well, he's not going to go to heaven. Well, really? <laughs> um, mm. You know, so I think there just were those sorts of of lingering uh, questions that that uh, were on his mind and made him think about those things. And I thought it was important uh, to bring those out. So you had a choice to make uh, with this book. Uh, were you going to write uh a nonfiction book, or are you going to turn it into historical fiction? Uh, why did you choose uh, the historical fiction route? Well, for one thing, it's more of my background, I think. Um, 
you know, when I, when I have written, you know, it's, it's been, it's been poetry or short stories, or uh, I, I guess I think about that. You know, I, I love movies. Uh, you know, the movies that I was used to watch as a kid had a lot to do with some of the things that I could remember in terms of that era. Uh, you know, not only the war movies, but also the, you know, just the, the movies about that, that time period. Um, and I felt it was, it would, it would, not sure you could really get in, delve into some of those questions that I wanted to, to talk about. And, and, and also just the notion of love and what, you know, what love can, can do. And, you know, the Greeks had three different types of love, you know, there was, there was Eros and there was Philo and there was uh, Agape. And I think that this book sort of touches on all three of those, you know, there's the love between he and L there's a, there's the love he has with his, his brothers, uh, you know, in, in combat. And, and there was, there were brothers and it wasn't, there were, unfortunately there weren't, I mean, or fortunately there weren't women, although there were the nurses, you know, who played a huge role in, uh, as nurse Kino does in, in the book. Um, and then there's that spiritual love, you know, whatever, however you, you know, however that plays out for you and whatever, you know, what, what you believe. Um, yeah. And I, and I think the other thing that I, I would want to stress or talk about too, Landis is Philip was a passionate guy. And, you know, that word passion comes from the Latin word passio, which means suffering, you know? And I, and I think that oftentimes, you know, that, that suffering it can be in a lot of different ways, right? It can be, you know, suffering, you know, in, in a war, it can also be suffering in love. So, uh, and I think he experienced both of those. Well, that's interesting. Now we know why authors who have a passion for a project end up suffering when they take it on, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, and speaking of that, one, let me just uh, throw one last writing life question at you here uh, before we wrap up today. Um, you know, this is a process for you that took a while. You had a lot of support, but you really had to get in there and grind. You had to do the research. You had to write, uh, I mean, to get 600 pages down and then have to cut back and go through all that. Um having written short stories before and poetry, a lot, a lot different discipline here than before. What are some of the things you learn when somebody says, well, Barry, you know, how hard is it to write a book anyway? Well, I think that the one thing is that, you know, I mean, everybody talks about this. Um, sorry for the phone in the background there. Um, it's, it's the whole notion of, of, of show don't tell. And if you do tell, make it short and sweet and, and to the point. Uh, I read a lot of books on writing. I've, you know, you know, read Stephen King's on writing. I've read uh, Save the Cat. You know, there were all those books that you, you know, a lot of, and, and then the great thing that I, the, the beauty that I had was to go to Table Rock uh, in the, the writer's conference there for a couple of years. Unfortunately, it's been canceled the last two years, but I made great friends there and writing friends that that helped me, uh, Darnell Arnott and and uh, Abigail DeWitt and Judy Goldman. There, there were just so many wonderful people there that, that, gave me advice and knew I was a rookie and said, you know, and I'm not, I'm not a spring chicken, you know? So, uh, and, and that's the other reason that we decided to go uh, independent on this because by the time it got, would get through an agent, I had a couple of agents who were interested uh, early on, but yeah, so it's, it's, but you know, there, there's a, a thing that I actually wrote down. Uh, it's uh, from a, from a thing called sociological imagination that I wrote and read in my doctoral studies, but it's really cool. It says, uh, but you ask me, how do ideas come? How is the imagination spurred to all the images and facts together to make images relevant and lend meaning to facts? 
And it struck me that where do ideas come from? Where do stories come from? Is the same thing. And where this story came from was a box, you know, and, and memories of, of, of a, a brother that, you know, as I said in the very last chapter, I think, you know, was, you know, the memory was forged in, in, in blood, you know, I mean, that was his, that was his oldest brother. That was his, mm-hmm. his guy. I mean, he was, that was his hero. And, uh, you know, he wanted to make sure that story was told. And my only, my only regret is that um, he didn't get to read it. He read, read parts of it early on, but uh, he passed before it was finished. So, yeah. Yeah, well. He left a, a great legacy for us. You know, the beauty of this is that uh, it started in a box, but through the magic of uh, historical fiction, you've uh, taken this story outside the box so that many more people can uh, can experience it. Uh, but before we go here, uh, tell me about the book cover. That That is actually a painting that my daughter did, uh, and it's from uh, – a photograph that I took in Australia uh, overlooking the Coral Sea uh, from the, from the Northern coast of Australia. And that, if you, if you go far enough over the Coral Sea, that's where you get to Port Moresby, New Guinea. So that's, that's the, uh, what that, that, that is. And she did a beautiful job with that cover. And then the, the folks that the book couple who put it all together for me uh, did a terrific job as well. So thankful yeah, it, it, it is it is a, a nice cover and you can see that uh, in the show notes so listeners we're gonna uh, jump over in just a second to uh, patreon that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash charlotte Rivers podcast you can go there for a few bucks a month and uh, get all this great content exclusive episodes on writing craft and business writing and barry and i are going to talk about uh, this idea of turning family history into historical fiction uh, you can find out more about uh, Barry at uh, charlotteristpodcast.com. I've got uh, book cover, images, links, and that kind of thing. Uh, I think I know now why his uh, website is called Boathouse Productions, because he writes in a boathouse. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, you can you can check out his uh, website there. Uh, Barry, listen, I want to thank you for uh, sharing your story and being a part of part, uh, Charlotteist Podcast. Well, it was my pleasure, Landis, and I, I want, you, want you to know that I really enjoy the podcast and, and, and appreciate what you do uh, for writers in our area. And, uh, you know, it's always just a lot of fun to hear what other people are doing, and, and uh, you're doing good work. So thank you for that. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice, because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.